All right, welcome to another interview episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. On the line, I have Eric Huberman. And Eric, you've grown an agency to an over $150 million valuation by focusing on three key marketing principles, three marketing pillars for yourself and for clients. Uh, what I'd like for you to do just to start us off is give us an executive summary. What are those three principles sure. and why do they matter so much? Yeah, uh, basically awareness, nurturing, and trust. Those are the three principles of marketing that at this point have helped over 4,500 brands grow. Um, we, The way to think about it is, you know, it's like a tripod. If you don't have one of those three things, the whole thing collapses. And so awareness is basically how do you introduce your company to a new potential customer? So it's creating awareness in the market that you even exist. Then you have nurturing, which is what do you do once you create that awareness to actually get them to become a customer? And then post-purchase, how do you get them coming back? Because lifetime value is critical. And then trust, synonymous with brand. How do you build that third-party validation that over time can be your brand and uh, and actually tell people that they can trust you because 75% of people won't buy from a company they don't inherently trust. Um, and so things like PR, uh, reviews, referrals, testimonials, uh, endorsement deals, influencer marketing, that's all trust. Awareness would be what most people think of as adver uh, as marketing, which is like advertising, word of mouth. Um, uh, PR actually applies there too, just how do you again build that awareness? Nurturing is the one a lot of people miss, which is the reason for nurturing is most people don't understand that there's something called a purchase cycle or consideration period. And when I say don't understand, they get it, you know, sort of logically, but when people yeah. marketers dive in, they don't understand that like from the time you introduce someone to your company to the time they buy, there's a time period there. And if you're not doing things through that time, you're just losing people. It's a leaky boat. So you want to get uh, do things like email marketing, SMS, uh, content, things that bring people coming, keep people coming back and keep in touch with people while they're making that purchase decision. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we will use that as the structure for uh, this episode and we'll go deeper into each one of those. Sure. Um, and and I'm very much looking forward to that. Uh, you have a rather impressive bio here. I'm going to go through it, hopefully not too quickly. Uh, but CEO, <laughs> CEO and founder Eric Huberman launched Hawk Media in 2014. Mm -hmm. Now valued at over $150 million, Hawk Media is the fastest growing marketing consultancy agency in the United States. Prior to its launch, Eric successfully founded, grew, and sold two e-commerce companies by the age of 26. Eric has since continued to strategically expand his business portfolio, inclusive of a handful of company acquisitions, the 2018 launch of Hawk Ventures, which reached a closed single fund of $5.6 million, the 2020 launch of his own podcast, Hawk Talk, the 2021 launch of Hawk C, an agency offering brands the tools needed to tap into Gen Z, and most recently authored his own book, The Hawk Method, becoming a national bestseller. As a serial entrepreneur and marketing expert, Eric has been recognized by his industry peers for honors and awards, including Forbes 30 Under 30, CSQ's 40 Under 40, and Eek Magazine's Top 25 Marketing Influencers, just to name a few. Eric, wonderful <laughs> to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Just yes. sent you a page-long bio. It's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we can, we can, we'll just spend the rest of the episode. I'll read all your accomplishments and, you know, it'll be, it'll be good stuff. Been a good ride. <laughs> All right. So we'll come back to your three principles in a minute. But mm -hmm. near the end of your book, uh, you have a section titled, Will AI Make Marketers Obsolete? And this conversation has grown much louder since yes. your message. Yep. Um, so what's the big impact that you're seeing from AI today? The big impact is everyone's distracted and not doing their jobs. 
No, I'm kidding. But it, it, the, the truth. <laughs> kind of true. Kind of true. Kinda true. Yeah. Like there's a little yeah. truth in what I just said. Um, no, I, I mean, ChatGPT is a really cool tool and that's what's made the conversation just skyrocket. It's it's basically just a different interface on Google, but it's a cool tool. Like it's like, yeah, you can spin up mediocre content at scale now. So if that's what your you know game was, was tons of mediocre content, which just to be blunt is a lot of people's game. It made it really easy. Um, I think it's going to make it more flooded than it already is. Um, but I do think that it's an insight into what we've been studying at Hawk for eight years and have been building on Hawk AI side. It's an insight into like the it's a window into where this could go now. I think it was the aha moment for a lot of people. That's like, oh, wait, this isn't just like some hypothetical to be like a robot from the Terminator. This is like a human augmentation tool. And that's how I think this will play out. It's going to be yeah. that everyone has their uh, AI enablement. So, you know, sort of the nerdy, like, and I, funny enough, I'm not a comic book guy, but the visualization I always have with this is like Dr. Octopus, where it's like, he's got okay. his, you know, all his robot arms to complement his two normal human arms, where it's like, that's AI and how I see it's going to be. It's just going to help us do more at once, be stronger and more powerful and be able to handle a lot of different tasks at the same time, get to the answer quicker. I think it's just going to make people more efficient. I don't think it's going to necessarily replace a lot of jobs. What it will replace is some really basic rudimentary jobs like data pulling and you know things like that but i actually think it's more going to replace a lot of the tedium of higher level jobs meaning like if i'm an analyst that is yeah. running data all the time now this thing can actually help pull all that data you know make it concise and get me to the answer quicker so i can actually get to decision making quicker versus having to spend hours pulling the data before i even know what the you know solution is now i can get straight to solutions I think that's going to be where it is. And I, and I don't think I'm optimistic. I think I'm realistic in that. I think that humans always love to over-index human adoption. Like the, the favorite example here is like, you know, there's tons of headlines that uh, there would be no more truck drivers by 2025 because of driverless cars. We now yes. have a truck driver shortage in 2023. Like, do we really think that in the next year and a half, we are going to have no more truck drivers? Like, do we think that driverless cars will continue to grow? Yeah. But nothing gets adopted that quickly. And that's the part that people don't get is like, yeah, the technology might be there that we don't need truck drivers. The companies are not. The decision makers are not. And so maybe in 20 years, 30 years, there won't be truck drivers, but it, the, it's going to transition so slowly. They're going to need something is going to replace that. They're going to need more mechanics for these driverless cars. They're going to need some. There's going to be other jobs that arise. So same thing with marketing is it's just going to change the way we work, not destroy the way we work, I think. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, there, there are a lot of technical tasks and even something like writing fairly basic copy. Yep. That those technical tasks are being um, handled in the box as, yes. as opposed to in our brains, right? Right. Um, and, and it still takes us, it just elevates us. I, I love that Doc Ock. Exactly. Um, that, that Doc Ock metaphor or image that you have there because um, it, it allows the human to you know, have their fingers in more places and do more things. Yeah, um, and what, I got I got I had an interview about this today and it was, they were asking like, do I think that like, so let's say that this saves half the time of a CMO to like all this stuff automates a bunch of what they have to do, which is our intent with Hawk AI is like, let's get the data analysis out of your hands and just give it to you so you can just get to decision-making. And it's like, okay, so if that happens, let's say half their time is spent on analysis and now they don't have that, does that mean they're going to work half time or where does that attention actually get focused now? Where does that time get spent? That's going to be interesting. It's like, if you take you know half of someone's job away, 
not from a financial perspective, but from like a uh, workload perspective, then what happens? And I, I you know, hope, you know, I'm optimistic on like the use of that time, but in either way, like either it frees people up to go to the beach half their day and be just as productive and have just as much output, or they end up being able to double their output and double the effectiveness of their work with things that are yeah. frankly more fun to work on. Either way, both of those sound like uh, yeah. fairly good options. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's not like this this whole process of awareness, nurturing, and trust is going to go away, right? Correct. So if we're if we're looking at things from that level, that's not going to um, it's not going to necessarily hurt us. And in fact, I think it can enable us, right? It can. Well, that's it can the idea. This would be a, this would be a shortcut to see where are you falling short in awareness and nurturing and trust. Like what what aren't you doing well? What could you be doing better? Like that's the whole idea of like Hawk AI and what we built was it's monitoring all your marketing in real time compared to eight thousand companies in the ecosystem to say this is where you're missing. Your awareness is short. This is why these are the KPIs that are low. So like traditionally, you'd have to be a CMO pulling your hair out, calling your friend, what is your ROAS? This is mine. And like, everyone's yelling at each other. Like, I, and everyone lies to each other and overstates their numbers. So everyone thinks that they're all underperforming because everyone else overinflates their numbers. And it's this whole thing. Now it's like, here it is. This is what actually is going wrong with your marketing. This is the exact KPIs you're missing on. Now you can go spend time fixing that. And over time, I think there will be automation on even fixing that. But we're in a competitive landscape. So all this is all these tools, everything are democratized. You're all everybody has access to them. So you're going to people. The challenge is going to be to continue to figure out how to be one step ahead of everyone else in the way that you market. Because if, you know, again, let's say ChatGPT, like the the uh, use of that ends up being what we've seen, which is people just start flooding tons of blog posts by using AI. And everybody's now yeah. pumping out a blog post an hour on another topic because they don't have to write it. And they can just put prompts in. We're just going to have a flood of content. Content's going to mean nothing anymore. So, okay, now you haven't differentiated yourself with content. You're just another content vomit. Like, what's next? What's going to be that next thing that you can't just vomit out using AI? And that's going to be where people differentiate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so let's 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 dive back into the high level uh, thinking around your three principles, starting with awareness, um, and and. Kind of like you said, this is what the great unwashed masses think of as marketing and advertising. Like we think of getting awareness out there. Yeah. Uh, how how do you think of awareness that maybe is um, not a hundred percent what 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 those people think of? And um, what do you see as essential awareness strategies for? Yeah, growing businesses. I'd say most people think of awareness as advertising, um, yeah. which I think is a is it's an important part of marketing because. It's the place where you can put money in and get money out. It's like the scalable piece of marketing that's like when you're ready, when everything else is functioning and you're ready to invest money to make money, advertising is lucrative. And so I think that's a great part. And figuring out where to advertise is a challenge. Like, well, do I go on Meta and Facebook and Instagram or do I go on TikTok or Snapchat or TV and radio and billboards? That's where people are struggling. And I'd say the best way to think about those is a couple of things. But understanding those tools, it's first off the context in which people are experiencing your ad. Super important. Yes. Because... And what I mean by context is not like where on the page is it, but like, what are they doing when they get your advertisement? So like why TV traditionally works so well is how people watch TV. They were sitting on the couch, bored, watching their favorite shows, and we were used to commercials. There was no on demand. And so you'd watch your favorite show and 12 to 15 minutes in and take a commercial break and they'd serve you some ads that hopefully were in line with the standard audience of the show. And you were just sitting on your couch waiting for men and you're bored. So that's how TV experience. It was a lean back approach. Um, yes. And so 
That I'd say traditionally the most similar to that was Meta, Facebook and Instagram. You're bored, you're you know, you're scrolling through your newsfeed. I except for I can be much more targeted, which is why it's so powerful. I can target exactly my customer with socioeconomic data, geographic data, interest-based data, like all these different things that allow me to go, this is my exact customer profile, uh, and get you at a time when you're bored and saying, show me something cool. And that's what turned into great performance on Meta. Um, I'd say the most similar to that is TikTok. And the interesting thing is between Meta and TikTok, like Meta is all based on your social graph. Who do you follow? Who do you like? Who are you friends with? TikTok's really more based on what you're interested in, your interest graph, like what videos you spend more time on. It's not really about who you follow on TikTok. I have a ton of followers on TikTok and I can post a video and get a couple hundred views. I have 200,000 followers. So they don't really show your videos to your followers. Like that's not how it works. It's not based on social. What that means is if I show you a random ad, you're already used to seeing random stuff all the time. So it's even more seamless on TikTok. So I think over time, TikTok is going to be an incredible advertising platform. And it already is really good, assuming we don't ban it in the US, which that's a whole different conversation. Um, and then uh, you, you have like Google, where the good yeah. thing about, again, both Meta and TikTok is you can create new demand. You can reach out to someone that's never heard of you, but you know they're the type of person that likes to buy what you sell. And you'd be like, hey, we exist, da, da, da and you can create new demand for a product or service. With Google, you're answering existing demand. Someone is looking for what you do and you're being like, hey, I know you have this problem, we're the solution. And so uh, it's highly effective if you have a product that serves that. So a good example on both of these would be like if you sell t-shirts, like cool t-shirts, whatever, funny phrases, let's say. Yeah. Uh, if I'm go- if I Google t-shirt, don't spend money on those ads because like I always do this when I'm in a bigger stage, but like show of hands who... You know, who has ever Googled for T-shirt and bought a T-shirt? The answer is no yeah. one. Yet the amount of companies that are think that they should be bidding on the word T-shirt when they sell T-shirts is very high. Um, that's not how it works. But you have to be more specific than that. They're looking for exactly what you sell. That's how you leverage Google. So if you're a lifestyle brand or something that's more driven by like an emotional purchase or an impulse buy, you're better off on TikTok and Facebook where you're getting people bored and you know they're the type of person to buy and you can cat- grab their attention. So to make it simple, Facebook... In TikTok, create new demand. Google answers yes. existing demand. Yeah. So you, I think Google is what you described in your book. And I love this distinction of as lean forward media versus the lean back where it's. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so the, the, the image here is you're imagining like is your prospect pursuing something, right? Yep. And then, and then you have to identify like, is that person who pursues that thing, is that person my ideal prospect versus the lean back media where people are just kind of sitting there open to whatever pulls their attention and yep. how can you capture that? And that's really important because the the other examples of that are like Snapchat's more lean forward, even though you think it's lean back because it's people communicating with small groups of people and sending disappearing messages back and forth. Same thing with Twitter. Most people aren't using Twitter to just scroll through their feed. They're going to specific people reading tweets by specific people and then tweeting back and having a communication. It's lean forward. Uh, YouTube, same thing. People don't watch YouTube like they watch television. They don't just hit play and kick back. Some people do, but it's not a common usage. More it's like, I'm searching for something. There's the video I want. God damn it, you just interrupted my video with your stupid ad. I just want to watch my video. Like YouTube ads don't work very well. YouTube influencer and like integration works really well, but the advertisements on YouTube once in a while brands have a good time, but like at scale uh, across the board, that is not the first place I usually attack for marketing. Okay, fair enough. Okay, um, well let's move 
let's move towards nurturing and um, talk more about that. So your agency, like like many, buys advertising on different platforms. We've talked about that. And um, you made a point in your book that the purchase cycles have a huge impact on the data that shows up on places like Facebook, Meta, Google advertising. Um, so can you speak to that that purchase cycle um, regardless of like, obviously in something like a B2B situation where you think about having to deal with the purchasing department and there's like a six month purchasing cycle and all of that, this is a more obvious issue that you're grappling yeah, with, right? Exactly. But even on consumer products, right? Yep. This is an issue. Can you speak to that and why it's so important to understand? Yep. Um, they, yeah. So purchase cycle, like to think about on the consumer side, just to give numbers, what we see is from the time someone goes to a website for e-commerce to the time they buy, there's a, obviously a time period. Like the first time you click an ad and look at a company, you don't buy. So for what we've seen is it's really correlated with the average order value. So for like a $50 purchase, generally this purchase cycle is around three weeks for a hundred dollars. It's around five weeks. $200, it's around six weeks, trails off between two and three months at the high end. So just assume that on average, it's about a month, which means from the time yeah. you start an ad and get someone to click an ad to the time they buy, it's a month. So it if you think about it that way and you understand that concept, which is, well, again, we have a lot of data to show this, that that changes the way you market. Because if a lot of people think they click an ad, they buy. So they look at their yeah. Facebook performance today by how much did I spend today and how much did I make? But if you know there's a month window in there, it changes the way you measure your marketing. It changes the tactics of your marketing. It changes a lot of things. And it's this is like the biggest thing I see marketers miss is because they get in the weeds of a, an Excel file and they look at my marketing spend today and my performance today. And you see, you know, frankly, Charlotte and marketers bragging about like, oh, I only spent a hundred bucks today on marketing and we made a hundred grand. Look at my thousand times return on ad spend. And you're like, how much did you spend yesterday and last week? And like, it's it's all this misunderstanding of marketing. It's like, it's a window. It's a, yeah. and it's a, remember, it's an average. People are purchasing all through that cycle. There are people that purchase today from your ad. There are people purchase tomorrow, but on average, it takes a month. So that also means you've only hit about half of your customers converted at that month mark. It's an average. And then there's a long tail of people still coming in over the course of years. You know, we, we uh, closed a customer, or yeah, we closed a customer today at Hawk Media that I talked to them eight and a half years ago. Like, and that, yeah. as you said, B2B, it's rational. You get it because you have that very, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation. B2C, people forget that takes people time to convert. Yeah. And so, so, I mean, things like, like nurturing through any kind of ongoing internal communication, but also capturing um, interest on an ongoing basis with remarketing and all of that has to become part of the strategy, right? Yep. Cool. Exactly. And, and, and email marketing, SMS, content, all these things that keep people engaged throughout that purchase decision to help them convert faster and at a higher rate. Awesome. Well, you focus on nurturing before and after the sale, right? Yeah. Uh, most of my audience is pretty good direct marketers, so we do understand this. Um, but but you, you talked about TROI in your book, and yeah. I thought that was useful to underscore here. Yep. So can you speak to what TROI is and the strategy behind it? Yeah, uh, TROI would be true ROI is the idea of your, so my direct marketers do this, are guilty of this, frankly, the worst, which is talking about ROAS, return okay. on ad spend. And, uh, and again, I'm partially a direct marketer too, but I've really gone away from that term. And I actually think, I, yeah, I have a section in the book that's ROAS is BS. Um, and that talks about true ROI. And what I mean by that is, 
there's two parts of that. One is what I just alluded to, which is like if you're reporting on your ROAS on a day by day basis, it's bullshit yeah. because it's you're you're not actually reporting on the marketing that actually drove that sale. You're reporting on your marketing spend today and your revenue today, sure, but that's not necessarily what returned that. And also the windows. So like everyone, talk, this is like the funniest misconception to me is the iOS 14 change. Facebook's over. We all lost our returns, and it just showed me the huge percentage of people on Facebook advertising that had no idea what they were doing. Um, and I always start with the logical example here. So the, what actually happened was Apple cut off Facebook's ability to track on iPhones. That's that's what happened. That is the iOS 14 update. So uh, by nature, do we think that your ability to not track buyers through the iPhone, through an iPhone, actually stopped any type of purchase behavior whatsoever? Do they, no. does your customer have any experience in that? No. The only thing that stopped is deeper retargeting, which almost no one leveraged anyways. So you can't actually retarget based on their behavior on an iPhone. That's annoying. Not a huge deal. And then at the same time, Facebook changed a few targeting things. Like you can't target by religion or race, which again, very specific companies had issues with, but most did not. So what yeah. actually happened is because Facebook could no longer track an iPhone, Facebook traditionally had a 28 day click through window, meaning if someone clicked an ad, it tracked for 28 days if they made a purchase, which if again, we're going back to the numbers, most companies have a round a month purchase cycle. So that was actually a great window to get a good, ins good insight on how purchases were happening. Then when this happened, they changed from a pretty accurate 28 day window to a completely in your inaccurate seven day window based on an algorithm because they can't track on iPhones. Well, so when that change happened, and it's, if you go from 28 day window to a seven day window, your number is going to look a little worse. Yeah, probably. For sure. For it, like, yeah. In a big way. Yeah. In a big way, especially because a lot of times it, it, it's backloaded a little bit. It's not front loaded. Like people take a few weeks before they really start warming up. You have to build trust with your customers. So that means that like all of a sudden everyone's watching these 28 day numbers and then it goes to seven days. And I still don't understand how people don't comprehend this, but like people just took it as like just the numbers where it's like, it, you know, the amount of people, you know, let's say you converted a person a day before, you know, you know, you convert 30 customers over the course of a month and now it goes to seven. They just went, oh, 30 went to seven. Facebook's dead. Like what? Yeah. And that and yeah. that little misunderstanding led to the average decline of a Shopify site uh, in 2022 of 20%. Consumer spending did not decline last year. Yeah. But, e but the average Shopify site pulled so far back on their marketing Facebook's revenue declined last year because people didn't understand this and first time ever. And so it's like that it's such and what's crazy is that Facebook hasn't even done a good job of explaining this, but we've yeah. looked at it and it's like now we have a ton of first party data. We built Hawk AI and launched it in September. We now can see this from a third party perspective. We go, yeah, Facebook's working great. In fact, now, because of all those people pulling back, it's pressured Facebook to lower their CPMs cost per thousand impressions. And so now we're getting great performance on Facebook for our customers if they'll learn how to you know, measure it properly. Okay, if they understand the true so, ROI, yeah, not the- so I didn't, I, I went on a little tangent. So getting back no. to true ROI, uh, true ROI, look at uh, CAC to LTV, meaning your cost to acquire a customer to your lifetime value of a customer. Because the other piece of this is if you sell it, wait, we just had this, we have a client that sells uh, water and they were getting, you know, over the course of a month, they were getting a hundred, uh, or a 1x return on their ads, a 1x ROAS. Um, and it was actually measured accurately on this one. And so, they, you know, to them, they have a cost of goods. They're like, if I'm spending 100 grand and making 100 grand, this will make no sense. We're out. Well, if you don't look at the recurring nature of your product, 
you're going to cut off that hundred grand. And what it turned out was in the course of a year, the average person bought 15 times. So they were spending 100 grand to make $1.5 million. And they were ready to cut that off because they were, again, reading just the dashboard. And like, it says one, I can't afford one. The number was yeah. actually 15. Their true ROI was 15X. And this is what more savvy private equity looks at, more intelligent, scalable businesses. Like you need to understand the lifetime value of your customer and how much you make over time to be able to make those decisions, or you're going to cut off your nose to spite your face. Yeah. I mean, if you have if you have a good relationship, if you continue to nurture that relationship through time, yep. there's the it's the whole like uh getting a customer to make a sale versus making a sale to get a customer. So that first sale might be at break even or at a loss. Yeah. Um, but if it's a customer who comes back, especially something where um you have that frequency of purchase over the first year, that sounds great. Sign me yep. up. Um, yep. Yeah. So um, in your book, you, you talked about some easy nurturing wins that your agency works to provide your clients, like kind of low hanging fruit there, uh, mind sharing just anything that comes to mind here and how you, uh, accomplish these. Yeah. I mean, the, the easy ones in terms of nurturing, like start with welcome series, both SMS and email. So email marketing, the general like metrics are a 15%, uh, open rate and a 3% click through rate. SMS is like a 98% open rate and a 30% click-through rate. So SMS is super effective, slightly harder to collect a phone number, but not 10 times harder. So leveraging both, building around automation. So based on people's behavior, don't just email blast, like, you know, another sale, another sale, but like following up with, you know, let's like the, the initial four emails and text messages can be pretty straightforward because you know, like their behavior was, they just signed up. It was like, it's really reinforcing all the things, the reasons they should buy, starting with really who you are and what you're about. The next one could be if you're a bunch of products, your top sellers, then it can be testimonials and third-party validation, creating that trust. Uh, and then it could literally just be another message about why you think they, what's another value proposition. Like just going through it, testing all these things, reordering them to over time, try to, again, accelerate that purchase decision as well as increase your conversion rate to a customer. Um, and that's what you're playing with on those two. And then it's all about behavior. Like, like I hate, like, and I use e-commerce as an example because it's that's the easiest, like, to understand. There's ways to leverage all these things for every type of business. But in e-commerce, like, if I just made a purchase and then you send me a 50% off sale the next day, can I return it? Like, what? That bullshit. <laughs> like, that you just pissed me off offering me half off. Like, not batch and blasting, but like really basing it on behavior. So if I haven't personally been to your site for a while and you're trying to motivate me, showing me some new new products, maybe giving enticing me with a discount, what it depends on your brand and when that works. But like, these are all things that like can get me re-engaged, but do it on a one-to-one -one basis. Don't do it to the entire audience. Uh, same thing goes for the hyper uh, loyal customers. Like give them things that make them feel even more appreciated. Hey, thank you so much for buying a product every month this year, we wanted to give you X, we want to give you Y, like build out and you build these automations out over time based on their behavior. And you can build all these triggers. Almost every good email platform does this now and SMS. And so yeah. that like this becomes a more and more robust system that you don't have to do anything. It's just running and emailing people all the time and keeping in touch. So nothing falls through the bucket, so to speak. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I mean, those are, those are such easy wins and yeah. so powerful and, um, Email is off the charts for ROI because of you know it is that nurturing platform, right? You feed you feed all the the new customers in the front end or the the new leads in the front end, 
And um, if you have good email programs like that, you're yep. just going to make a ton of money and it's almost free. Um, yep. So yeah, let's let's pivot to trust here. You've spent a ton of time cultivating trust for your agency, partnerships, PR, a lot yep. more. Um, in, in my experience, that's becoming far more important today. Um, can you speak to the importance of trust, especially today? Yeah, it's. It, I, yeah, I would say the reason trust is more important today is just, just there's so much noise, and frankly, people are just so aware of like where people broke trust, things like FTX in the crypto world, and like just places that you know big big organizations that have broken people's trust. That um, it's it's important. Now, I'd say what's important to understand is how much does trust matter for your business? So yeah, is how do I put it? Like if you're selling t-shirts, trust is probably not a huge factor. Like, does it fit? Or is it actually going to look like it does in the picture? Like some basic stuff and the risk they're taking on it is low. If you're selling supplements or something more uh, than I'm going to ingest and you're talking about health all the time, if you're an insurance company or a bank, probably going to need more trust. And initially trust is comes, it comes with, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but comes from third-party validation. So it could be referrals, testimonials, PR, uh, endorsements, influencers, like all these things that say someone else is basically saying, validating you. They're saying, hey, this is something I believe in. You should trust me. And one little nuance about trust that's super interesting that we've studied a lot. And actually, this is a fun story. I, uh, for years, I've been talking about the show, How I Met Your Mother. You ever watch it? Uh, only a couple episodes. Okay. Yeah. So just to recap, main character, Ted, is trying to meet his wife. That's the whole like premise of the show. And his best friend, Barney, is like total womanizer, but like always trying to help him meet a girl. So he his main tactic with Ted is to go to the bars and walk up to random girls and go, have you met my friend Ted? And just leave. It. <laughs> there you go. It was a hilarious little thing. And I've said for years, like, guys, that that's trust in a nutshell. It's not actually that they knew Barney. They don't care about that. It's just literally any third party validation creates validation. And so... Yeah. It's real. Like I also talk about like Amazon reviews. We all look at them. Everybody, everybody, when they buy stuff on Amazon, looks at the reviews if it's a new product. Also, almost everybody accepts the fact that most of those reviews are probably bullshit. <laughs> kind of the funny thing that like people know that there's a lot of fake reviews on Amazon, yet they still yeah. use it as a validator. And with the How I Met Your Mother thing, funny enough, I ended up at a random lunch last week with the showrunner after years of talking about this and was told that they actually tested it over and over again if it would work in real life. And it did every time, 100% of the time, making an <laughs> intro to someone else. People are like, all right, I'm engaged. So she let me know that. And it's like, okay, so this does check out. So when you're talking about third-party validation, it's literally just, I don't know who you are. I'm sure you think you're great, but does anyone else? And that's usually yeah. enough to get over it. And then again, there's levels of trust. If you're claiming that you're going to be, you know, cure some major ailment of mine and cure my health, I probably want to talk to a doctor or talk to someone that really knows what they're talking about. Like there's an expertise level, but a lot of most things that people buy, they just want to know that someone else thinks you're cool other than you. Um, and that's about it. Um, and then over time, trust transforms to brand. If you deliver consistently what you're delivering, that becomes what you're known for. And you can have a, you can have trust without third party validation. That would be an example of that would be like McDonald's. I don't need anyone else to tell me what happens at McDonald's. We all know what's there. We know what, it, you know, the taste is consistent. They're fast and it's probably unhealthy. Like brand is good and bad to be clear. They're, and trust is good yeah. and bad. And trust that you're going to disservice them too. Um, you know, it's 
I, I always ask people like, what's what's the example of the best customer service? And a lot of people say Zappos still. Why is Zappos seen as the best customer service? Two reasons. One, because they had great customer service. They emphasized it. They cared about it. And two, they talked about it. They told everyone they were good customer service. And so eventually people have confirmation bias. You tell me over and over again that you're the best at customer service. What happens if, if I have a good experience? I repeat it. Yeah, Zappos, they're amazing customer service. It's awesome because you've told me over and over again. If I have a bad experience, I go, must have been me. That must have been an anomaly, an exception, because they have great customer service. It's a really funny thing, confirmation bias. The other side of that is, I ask, oh, it's funny. Two things come up when I say who has worse customer service. It's cable companies or cell phone companies. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, so let's take, it's, they all, it's always the same responses. So it's like, okay, let's take uh, Verizon. If they have horrible yeah. customer service, if you get on the phone with them and you have a great experience, you go, wow, someone at Verizon actually cares. That's amazing. Yeah, that Versus one individual. Yeah, exactly. Versus if you have a bad experience, you're like, well, of course I did. It's Verizon. They suck. Like That's how people work. And so when you're talking about building your brand, there's two reasons that happens with both of those companies, Zappos and Verizon. One is they have consistently disappointed or been great. And two is they've also talked like, on the Zappos side, they talk about it a lot. And Verizon, the reputation's out now. Like it's going to be hyper difficult for them to fix that because people are just going to believe every move they make is backed by this idea that they are terrible at customer service. So know that as you build your brand and how you consistently deliver, that'll stick with you. And we've so, been the better, like Hawk Media, we've seen this. Like, you know, we we've really always tried to be do the right thing, be super flexible, super nimble, be the best at what we do. Like that's what we emphasize. And we don't always nail it, but people give us a benefit of the doubt generally. Like if there's something going, I see it with our clients. If we have a client that the performance isn't there and it happens, they don't go, Hawk Media is bullshit. They go, hey, I think there's something off with what we're doing. Let's talk about this and try to fix it. Because they assume like, we know what we're doing. We've seen your success. We've seen that validation. So it must be something off in this situation, not this is just who you are. Yeah, I love this emphasis on brand around like what you are known for, what you're known as, yeah. uh, because it, to me, this is, it, it's one of those things where it, you mentioned earlier that you don't really call yourself a, a direct marketer anymore, right? Like, um, like direct marketing, really, if you break it down to the core principles, it's about, you know, does this work to actually get the conversion event or not, right? It doesn't have to be all of the other things, but when there's that conversion event, then there starts to be a relationship. Is my expectation fulfilled? Um, I, and then, I want to clarify that because what I mean by not wanting calling it a direct marketing is I almost every direct marketer I talk to doesn't understand purchase cycle. They're looking at what happened today and they're looking at what happened tomorrow. They're making optimizations on a daily basis, which is a fallacy if you believe in purchase cycle. So that that's where I started to get friction with sort of that world was like, this is short-sighted and it doesn't build a, a sustainable company. You kind of build a house of cards. And I've watched that. I've watched a lot of my direct marketing friends. I had a friend that built a $150 million revenue business in two years. And two years later, it was a $20 million revenue business. So boom, boom. It's like, that's what yeah. happens in direct marketing if you're not looking at building a longer term funnel. All right. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a heavy warning. That's like mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, cool. Well, uh, I, I also wanted to talk about the the whole outsource CMO thing. Sure. Uh, so uh, you mentioned at one point that you positioned Hawk Media and made yourself synonymous with the outsourced CMO role. Yep. And so on one side, 
we can look at Hawk Media and we can say, okay, this is a this is an agency. It's a traditional agency. Mm -hmm. uh, they provide agency services. They provide media buying, creative services, all of that. Yeah. But then you step back and said, there's also this 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 role of CMO that our clients are asking us to do. So can you speak yeah. to that specific role? Why and how yeah. you chose it, and why yeah. it works for both you and clients? Yeah, it actually worked backwards from what you just said. It started with, okay. so I, I built and sold a couple of e-commerce companies and then didn't know what I wanted to do next. And a bunch of companies asked me to just come advise for them and consult for them and kind of run, you know, fractionally run their marketing and digital initiatives. And so I was working with Red Bull, Verizon, HP, a bunch of startups as this like fractional CMO advisor. And then when I came time to execute on all the things I was advising and strategizing, I couldn't find any decent agencies to do it. And I couldn't find any decent individuals to come in. So I was like, I'll just build my own little SWAT team. So it went from me being their outsourced CMO to me being yeah. their outsourced CMO and marketing team. And so, but really where the tagline came from was two things. One, uh, I had seen a bunch of outsourced and fractional CFOs would be, had become a big thing. And I was like, why? That's such a great model. Cause like a lot of people don't need a full-time CFO, but they need someone to come in and help manage their books. Like this makes sense. So I was like, that's a, that model makes sense for marketing too. And then two, I'd go to, uh, you know, conferences or meet meetups and stuff. And they'd be like, what do you do? And I, I always, you know, human reading human body language. And when you're trying to get someone's attention is really important. And I'd say, oh, I run a marketing agency. Gone. Yeah. I run a digital agency. Gone. I work in marketing. Gone. Uh, I run an outsourced CMO. What's that? Oh, perfect. Yeah. Like, so it was like, how do I get intrigued? And then I realized like it was the once people understood it, it was the perfect uh, tagline because it it told people what we did, where your outsourced CMO marketing team, like where your outsourced CMO, it's like, okay, I'm I'm giving them my marketing. Got it. I understand that concept. But it also connoted CMO connoted senior level. It's a chief yeah. marketing officer. We're not your agency, we're not your marketing manager, we're your CMO. We're we're positioned in a premium way that we're coming in from a strategy level and then executing. And that really like, it was a little accidental, but that's what I ended up realizing happened quick. And then I was started the last piece of this, which goes back to how do you create awareness? Word of mouth is the biggest driver in business by far across all businesses that you need that for success. And I realized your outsourced CMO made it really easy for other people to articulate what I did to their friends. So our referral business, our partnerships skyrocketed. Everyone's like, yeah, Hawk Media, they're your outsourced CMO. Super easy to understand. They could all articulate it. It really hockey sticked word of mouth for us. Well, that's that's absolutely excellent. Um, and I love that I love that you ended up building, you called it a SWAT team at one point. Uh, but basically what you're then able to do is you're able to say, okay, here's our here's our strategy, right? And who's gonna implement? Do you have people on your team that are gonna implement this in alignment yeah. with the strategy? Okay, well, it's great if you have some people to contribute. Are, are, do they fill all the holes? Do they yeah. allow us to execute on all the elements? Well, I happen to have a team here. They're the SWAT team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. they, can, they can come in. They can take care of things. Well, and that's important um, to know too, is like my intention was never to build this big thing. My intention was to have that little SWAT team and then maybe go build my own brand and roll them into my, you know, building a brand with me. And then this took off so much. I enjoyed it so much. I just kept going. So there was no like massive master idea of like, this is going to turn into this thing. It's like, uh, oh, I'm consulting while I figure out my next thing. Oh, I need some help. I'm going to hire some people. But then they can transition to my next thing. You know what? I think I like this more than the next thing. So let's just make this the next thing. That's literally how this happened. <laughs> Excellent. So kind of stumbled accidentally into it, but it's clearly yeah. been a, a strong success formula for you and for clients and, and yeah. all of that. So 
I want to transition here and just talk about, you know, if, if people want to go deeper, I, I found, I found your book, the Hawk method. So admittedly, like I've been in marketing since 2005, I have a ton of experience in, in direct response. I've had a lot of client success and, you know, at first I'm getting into the Hawk method and I think a member of your team sent it to me and, and I'm like, okay, awareness, uh, nurturing trust. Okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. And yet then I got into the book and I was like, all right, this guy really knows what he's talking about. And um, there's a lot of contribution here to being a successful marketer. And so um, even with, you know, at this point, close to 20 years experience in marketing, I got a ton of value out of the book. Who do you think is a great fit for your book, The Hawk Method? Who would yep. get value out of it? Thank you. Uh, great question. So a few things. One, any C uh, the main person I'd say is CEOs or you know people that run companies because I what and it's either them getting it or a marketer getting it for them because one of the biggest probably the biggest problem we have in our business, which I think every marketer has, is trying to articulate what you do to someone that doesn't get it. And the yeah. idea that like best review I got on this book today is my first one-star review on Amazon, which he deleted because I think he heard me talking about it, which was a uh, one-star review that said, I don't get it. It's just modern marketing 101. And the, yeah, that's what it is. So like the, the idea here is this is modern marketing 101. So if you're trying to give someone a really easy book to read that they'll read in a couple hours, honestly, my wife read it in think two and a half hours. Not that she's like a crazy speed reader. She's a good reader, but she then she came out and went after nine years together, oh, I get what you do. So that's the idea is like, now you can actually share with someone, this is what I do, this is what we're doing for you, so that when you're talking to them, they're on the same page. That is a huge one. Number two, marketers of all kinds, to be able to articulate what they do a little more concisely, because that's, I think, one of the superpowers here is not that, like, I do think we're great at what we do and we're great marketers, but we're also really good at articulating what we do. And this made it easy. This is like just boiling it down to the basics, because I think people have a propensity to over talk what they do and overcomplicate it. And it's like, no, get it down to like, what are you, what's the real juice of this? And um, that's the feedback I've always had with how we present is like, this makes it really easy to understand. And so it helps marketers make it easy to understand as well as to just give them another framework to think about their marketing. Honestly, if you're a marketer, I hope a lot of this stuff is like, yeah, of course I do all of this, but now it's an easier way to articulate it. And then I'd say anyone wanting to get into marketing or yeah. just understand marketing, like it, we've sold 30,000 copies of the book so far. And I know that that's not just all marketers and CEOs. Like there's a lot of just people that just wanted to understand this world a little more. Like we're all affected by it now. We're all on Facebook and all these social media channels. We see these ads everywhere. Like how does this really work? And so again, it's just a really basic window into like how today's marketing works. Yeah. Well, I, I think of things like this, like even, even the pros in sports do spring training every year. Like yep. the MVP of the league is going to go back and practice the basics next year in spring training, right? As well as the rookies that just got recruited up. Um, and the more experience that someone actually has in growing businesses, the more I find that they focus on, you know, just modern marketing 101, right? Yep. Um, and so um, it's, it's great. And at the same time, it challenges preconceptions based on data that you've gathered yep. uh, from, from Hawk Media. Um, so I'll make sure to include a link in the description. It'll be the first link in the description for anybody who wants to go check out the book and learn more about okay. it, see if it's a, a good fit. Uh, it's it's a great introduction to your Ten approach. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Um, and then beyond that, what kind of business gets the most value out of working with Hawk Media? Ones that want to grow. And it sounds like, well, no shit, but um, honestly, like, we we the where we struggle are with companies that are 
complacent, like comfortable. Don't like, they're like, we, I know we need marketing, but like things are going okay. Like it's people that are like, no, we gotta, we gotta take over the world here. Like we're ready to be flexible, nimble. And then I'd say just, you know, it's funny. We don't really turn down business except for we have a no assholes policy. Like this is meant to be collaborative. We're like, well, just like hiring in-house, just like hiring anyone else, you know your business better than anyone. So like, we're here to bring our expertise to you so we can work together to have success. But like, it's a, uh, it's definitely a team effort. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I will make sure to include the second link in the description for folks to learn more about Hawk Media. Eric, thank you so much for being on Breakthrough Marketing Secrets yeah. here. I really appreciate it. Love introducing your, your stuff to my audience. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to all of my listeners and subscribers, thank you as well. I hope you got a ton of value out of this. I look forward to hearing what that was. And I will catch you again in the next episode. I'll see you soon. Thank you once again for tuning in to this daily episode of Breakthrough Marketing Secrets. Remember, check out the links with this episode for even more value. Now make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe, and engage in every way you can to keep this show going and growing and delivering daily value to you. I'll catch you soon for your next big breakthrough.